Hi, this is Michael R. Underwood, author of the Genrenauts Adventure Science Fiction Series and Novellas, and you are listening to The Melting Podcast. You're listening to The Melting Podcast, a writing variety show featuring a little of everything from everyone, everywhere. Hey there, lexiconosaurs and word chefs, and welcome to episode 35 of The Melting Podcast. I'm your head chef, A.F. Grappen. And I'm your grill mistress, Erin Kazmark. You know what we haven't had in a while? What's that? I stuck the fire episode. Ooh, I love those. Because yeah, we get to feature more than one author in one episode. Exactly. I mean, yeah, we, we had the cook-off challenge last month, but, you know. I love you, Scott. You got the most love for me on the podcast, so I'm your favorite, right? Sure, you can be his favorite. Yay! I'll, I'll speak for you, Scott, because you're not here to record with us, but it's okay. We love you anyway. But, stoke the fire stories. Yay! We've got two of them for you today. Ooh. And these are based off of prompt number eight, which is, aliens have given you a super sense. How do you use it? Well. Why don't we just get these rolling? Okay, that's a good idea. Bon appetit! Safe Sense by A.F. Grappin My best friend Siobhan blushed like mad the first time I asked to see her wings. Promise you won't laugh, okay? She asked, taking off her oversized hoodie. You finally manifested. It's about time one of us did. The aliens sure took their time getting to us, I grumbled. I'd been waiting years for my turn to receive a power. The aliens had been monitoring us for centuries, working out a solution to humanity's ridiculous helplessness. By the time I was born, the plan was already formed. When I was a preteen, the time finally came, and the aliens took action. We didn't feel it happen, really. The aliens' machines were too subtle for us to understand what was going on. But bit by bit, the changes came out. Some guy in Oregon shot lasers from his eyes in the middle of a pro football game and brought down a goalpost. A set of twins in Amsterdam fell down a sinkhole and flew back out again. There was an octogenarian whose osteoporosis completely reversed, and suddenly she was winning bodybuilding competitions worldwide. One by one, people exhibited strange and wondrous new abilities. Some turned those powers to good, and others to things not so good. I don't know if the aliens expected humanity to form Earthguard and its nemesis villain co, but both organizations sprung up within two years of the first powers coming forth. Everyone manifested differently, but the changes could come any time. Babies breathed fire and cried supersonic wails. The elderly ran marathons in record time. Siobhan's new limbs weren't like angel wings or dragon wings or even butterfly wings. I suppose I expected something grander than the filmy, thinner-than-paper wisps that clung wetly to her clothes. Her face went as red as the insect whose wings she'd inherited. They're... impressive, I said. So, are you going to apply to Earthguard? Are you kidding? I'm not a hero. What would I call myself? And don't say Ladybug. That's just annoying and obvious. So, you're not going villain either? Siobhan scoffed. Have you decided what you're going to do when you manifest? 
I shrugged. Of course I knew. I decided ages ago that whatever I got, I was joining EarthGuard. As much as I loved villains, that was all media stuff. I'd been there when Scorpion got her butt handed to her by Lucky Larry. I knew what villains really suffered at the hands of heroes. I was going to dole out the pain, not take it. But I had to manifest first. At 17, Siobhan was considered a late bloomer, but I still hadn't shown a single sign of anything. It made the next four years a pain in the rear. College was a joke, being the only normal surrounded by thousands of modified. I had to be the last person on Earth to change. Babies were being born with abilities now, and I still had nothing. Crossing campus one day, I got a whiff of the nastiest fart I had ever smelled. I know I hadn't let it, but the only other people in the area were a pair of sorority girls, and I doubted either of them had blasted it. So I dashed in their general direction to get away from the smell, covering my nose with my shirt. I stumbled on the sidewalk curb and ran into the sorority girls, knocking them into the grass. A second later, a car sped by, and it crashed into a parking meter right where I'd been standing. I huffed to get grass and pollen out of my nose. The girls looked at me with wide eyes. One of them screamed a stream of curses, darting in and out of languages faster than I could keep up. The other one, I would have sworn there were two, but there was only the one there shouting in Arabic or something. Girl number two reappeared a second later, her invisibility finally back under her control. I felt weird, kind of tingly. Was I manifesting? I checked my skin for changes, my body for extra appendages. I strained to shapeshift or something, to fly, anything. But whatever new gift I'd just gotten wouldn't show itself. Maybe I hadn't really manifested at all. Maybe that weird feeling was just the adrenaline rush from dodging that speeding car. Then it happened again. I went to the rec center pool, hoping maybe I'd sprout fins or gills. I dunked my head under the water, and a nasty smell crept into my nose even though I was holding my breath. Disgusted, I opened my eyes to seek the culprit when I resurfaced. I saw a small shape at the bottom of the pool, not moving. Someone had brought their kid and not been as watchful as they should have. I dove down and retrieved a boy about four years old. The smell of chlorine returned. A staff member knew CPR and revived the kid. The next day, I went to the local Earth Guard office. Something was going on with me and I needed it tested and identified. If EG could nail down what powers I had, maybe I could get an application to join. My hopes really weren't that high, though. Six hours and a battery of tests later, I sat in the office of Alistair Rutger, local director of the EG. Well, Alex, it looks like you have a level six ability. My heart sank. Manifestations were like golf. The lower the score, the better. And there were only eight levels. Whatever it was I had wasn't useless, but it was close to it. Even Siobhan's was a level four. She could fly after all. I do want to test one last thing, he said. I swear, Mr. Rutger must have eaten three plates of beans for lunch. No, it wasn't coming from his direction. Whoever had let that nasty fart loose was on my left. I looked. There was no one there, just a wall. Mr. Rutger's eyebrows shot up. He smiled. A panel in the wall slid open, and there was a lab coat-wearing woman pointing a gun right at Mr. Rutger. 
I don't understand, I said. Alex, you can smell danger. I... What? I would like to offer you an administrative position here at EarthGuard. We could really use someone like you. What... What would I be doing? Largely living life. Traveling, maybe. But it's past time we took a proactive step towards eradicating the villains once and for all. They sow danger. If you can track them down with that sniffer of yours, we might be able to root them out. I balked. So what you want is for me to track down and face all of the villains? Mr. Rutger waved his hands. No, no, just find them. Then call in the level one heroes. Think of it more as being a dispatcher. I thought about it. Then I smiled and shook Mr. Rutger's hand. There was a faint whiff of gas, and I pulled my hand away from his before he squeezed my fingers too hard. If I had to smell farts for the rest of my life, at least it would be useful. That was pain I could deal with. Touch by Sarah Celian. There are no shortcuts to greatness. Or, if there are, mankind despises them and seeks to brick them off as soon as they are found. In Madrid, they closed one off when they tore out Carlos Medina's eyes and burnt them in front of him as blood poured down his face instead of tears. Kiana's mother made her watch the video, made her watch an interview with him on the news, so you know why you can't go outside. Fear was her intention and it worked until they asked Carlos if he wished the gift from those above had never been given. No, he said through his interpreter. It is worth decades of blindness to see with perfect clarity for only a day. Kiana smiled at the man on the TV. It was a smile her mother despised, for it was the smile we make when we realize we are not alone. Despite her mother's warning, Kiana knew it wouldn't be long before she escaped the tiny fourth-floor apartment. She'd been running her fingers along the walls for weeks, feeling every molecule, every fleck of paint, the rough edges where lead was mixed in and the sticky places where the drywall had been patched. And something else, too. Something deeper. Like a lock that needed to be pressed exactly the right way to open. Kiana picked at it every day. In China, they pulled a man's tongue out and burned it so he would taste no more. The state kept his identity a secret and, dig as they might, the Western journalists never ferreted it out. Kiana found cockroaches in the walls and they trembled at her touch. She would run from room to room just behind them, the slightest touch of her fingers on the walls enough to send them skittering. In Australia, a woman named Margaret used a screwdriver to pierce her own eardrums before they could catch her. In the hospital, she sat shaking, mumbling over and over. They can hear what I hear. They can hear what I hear. The cockroaches, their survival instinct keen, fled Kiana's apartment. Her mother barely noticed they were gone. She spent all her time peeking out from behind the curtains, shaking at the sight of every unfamiliar car. Kiana had found the right atom to push, clicking one of the tumblers into place on the secret lock buried in her bedroom wall. When Brazil executed the woman whose sense of smell had been enhanced, Kiana's mother turned off the TV and wept. 
Kiana wiped one of her tears away and marveled at the smooth silk of the water, textured with bumps of salt that slid down her fingertips. Kiana didn't understand why she was crying. There was nothing to be afraid of. Kiana was thirteen, practically an adult. She could take care of herself. Kiana was picking away at the lock in her bedroom wall when they came for her. They pounded on the door, an angry, loud mob of people who weren't people anymore, just a force of violence. They smashed the door in as the second tumbler clicked into place. Kiana bit her lip and ignored the chaos around. Just a little more and the lock would open. A loud boom rattled the walls. Her mother must have fished her old shotgun out from under the bed. Kiana brushed aside electrons, one by one. Close. Close. Even closer. She felt herself grow frustrated. Why couldn't she find the right one? Why wouldn't the lock open? Her mother burst into the room, blood running from her nose. There was a horrible cracking sound as her skull was shattered by a baseball bat. The sound was so unexpected, so fatal, that Kiana started and whirled to face the intruders. As she did, her hand jerked upward a fraction of an inch, and the last tumbler clicked into place. Kiana had a glimpse of three men, one armed with the bat, another trying to aim a rifle. Their eyes were grim, their faces pinched and determined. Then the lock opened, and Kiana touched past the wall, past reality, and was gone. Hey, Aaron. Hi. You realize that, uh, that second story? Yeah. Brand new word, Chef. Yeah, that was pretty awesome. Um, I hope I said your name right. Yeah, I, I've known you on Facebook for a while, but I, I guessed at how to pronounce your name and then told Aaron. So if she mispronounced it, it's my fault. Yay, it's not my fault. I like it when that's the case. Sure you do. Yeah, I well, do. You know other things that aren't your fault? You? I'm not your fault. That's true. But I mean, like... When other people create things, you know, that's not your fault. No. So, you can't, you know, take credit for the promo we're going to play. No, you can because you edited it and, and, and that means that it's your fault, right? Well, well, I didn't create this promo. But, I mean, you edited the episode and you chose the promo. So, yeah. sure, you can take credit for that. Okay. Here's a promo. Nineteen forty Chicago. The Nazis may have lost the war, but the legacy of their occult projects still stumble the streets. Ghouls and zombies live in their own tiny ghetto where necromancy and crime thrive. Marcus Sage, veteran of the war and private investigator, is called upon to search the haystack of the undead for the needle of a missing briefcase. A small task but one that leads through the world of crooked politics, organized crime, and the dark tendrils of necromancy itself to the middle of explosive repercussions that threaten to burn the entire city to the ground. From author James Silverstein comes the hard-boiled gumshoe and zombie story that you've been waiting for. Necropolis, book one in the case files of the undead. Look for it on Amazon and other fine ebook retailers on September 2nd. And tell them Marcus Sage sent you. But just remember, in the Necropolis, 
Everyone wants to hear you scream. Hey, hey, AF. Yeah? Come here. What? You know what this episode needs? I mean, it's it's running a little bland right now with you and me. You smell nice. Okay, back off again. You know what this episode needs? More seasoning? A little seasoning. Just a little? Well, when it's with the person we've got today. Oh, and who do we have? Kim, the comic book goddess. Oh my god. I think this might have been your first interview at this last Balticon. Wait. I said, oh my god. Oh my goddess. Nah, I see what you did there. Yeah. Yeah, she was uh, the first interview I had at Balticon this year. So yeah, the ones we've been playing have been out of order. Not that it matters, because they all happened and they're all going to get played. But yeah. So here's the thing. Kim is a musician. So this is going to be a little different from our usual A Little Seasoning segments, because we're talking about stories told through music and lyrics. Which is something that works well for you with a music composition degree. That I'm totally using. Well, you are when you're conducting interviews with a musician, right? Oh my goodness, my understanding of music theory has finally paid off. Bon appetit. Hey, Lexicon of Sewers and Word Chefs, I am here with Kim, the comic book goddess at Balticon 50. Say hi, Kim. Hello. Or, hi. She's, uh, he said hi. I said I several things. Yes, lots of things. Shall we try said, this again? We should try this again. Say hi. Say hi. <laughs> That's how this is going to go, guys. This is the first interview I've had for this Balticon, and it's starting out great. Oh. <laughs> no, this is awesome. This is awesome. Glad, glad to have you on the show. So, Kim is she, she, she's a you're a writer. You have you have written prose of the of the fictional variety. You, yes. you, you're a story smith. Yeah. Um, but you, I usually manage to smith either the beginning or the end, and that's about it. Middles but are hard. Middles are middles hard. Are hard. Yes. I won a beginning. I was one of the winners of the one uh, Dead Robot Society beginning contest. Oh, cool. Or something like that. Yeah. I, 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 the story never went anywhere, but it was an awesome beginning. The beginning was amazing. <laughs> there was there was death, and at the end of it, it was like. There was a surprise, but it was the end of the beginning, so there was, like, story, and they just never got into the rest of the Well, actually, what happened is I got, like, halfway through the rest of the story, and then I tried to throw a Hail Mary because I was stuck in the Hail Mary. It was a bad, bad Hail yeah, Mary. I got intercepted. They ran it back for, like, two touchdowns on the one score. I don't know how that happened, but... They're magical. Yeah. They're bad. Yeah. Um, but you've, uh, you've told me that, as of right now, you're more focusing on music, Songwriting, composition, mm-hmm. and the like. Um, so you know there there are songs that are narrative stories, not just necessarily about you know a feeling. Oh my gosh, I am so in love right now. There there stories. There are songs that have particular narratives, and you have written at least you know several. Yeah. So how do you find that differs from writing a narrative story, other than you know just being shorter? Well, I, and actually, it's kind of funny because um, I gave a songwriting workshop earlier in the day, and and, and the topic came up that um, that uh, songs are are more like vignettes than stories in general. You have less time, less space. You have a different palette of tools that you can use to to um, paint or draw um, what was happening. But you don't have to really have a beginning, middle, and an end. Mm-hmm. Um, you really only have to, in your three-minute pop song, can 
you really only have to convey one idea. Mm -hmm. The more that you can manage, the better. So um, better and different songs might do better and different things. Um, uh, we were talking earlier about uh, the great uh, story Smith, uh, Harry Chapin. Mm. Um, who who was unfortunately best known for his shortest song, it with uh, which the lyrics were not written by him. He wrote "Cats in the Cradle," mm -hmm. uh, but really his wife wrote the lyrics for "Cats in the Cradle," and he <laughs> wrote the rest of it um, because uh, all of his songs that were stories had already taken him away from his family so much. Uh, mm -hmm. So there's there's more to the song that makes it a story, but the rest of his songs are actually stories, mm. beginning, middle, end. Things happened. Things change mm. over the course of the song. Um, and uh, so you can do that, but generally you're going to spend more time than people are, are looking for on a radio song. Now, uh, when you're looking in a more genre, I mean, we're at Balticon. Balticon is a, a convention that uh, attracts filk musicians as yes. well. Uh, and, uh, as uh, I had friends that for 15 years thought that I was making up words or talking about something that didn't actually exist to which I, I said I was going to a folk convention. And he's like, what's that? And I'm like, it's music for music that involves fantasy or sci-fi. And he's like, really to have a word for that? I have used it before to you. Well, I thought you were just making up something. No, no, I haven't. It's an actual thing. And, and the story of the thing, for those of you who don't know, is that um, a musician called Leslie, Phil, uh, Le Leslie Fish went to uh, a programmed uh, session of, of folk music mm -hmm. that they'd misspelled. <laughs> and it was just her and no other musicians and a, a small audience of other science fiction fans that... Uh, uh, she decided to try playing some of her little songs about science fiction things uh -huh. too, and thus Filk was born. <laughs> so, uh, are, are you familiar with the uh, the group Nerd Alert? Uh, no, but they definitely sound nerdcore. Yeah, they, they're, they're they do songs a lot of songs about uh, like just Starcraft, for example. So that probably would be considered Filk music. It, it might be considered Filk. Uh, definitely would be considered like nerdcore. Yeah. Nerdcore, nerdcore kind of uh, implies it's more uh, more technical, technical like electronic type of. Mm hip-hop sort of thing uh filk is more folky but you can definitely mm -hmm. argue argue about it one of the tenets of the people who do folk uh seem to uh, insist on is that the person who wrote filk should have intended it to be filk right for that reason weird al isn't considered to be a filk yeah. artist yeah he's a parody artist mm -hmm. that's but a lot of filk is parody Mm -hmm. Although really, technically, it's satire. To be parody, to be an actual parody, uh, for the legal definition of it, it actually has to be addressing the original song. Right. So, um, <laughs> uh, most most parody songs that people are trying to hide under the umbrella of parody and actually sell are are actually satire songs, and mm -hmm. um, hopefully, they're paying money to the guys who wrote the music. You know. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> which is why I haven't recorded any of my parodies uh, uh, for for selling because I, I'm well aware that there are licensing issues that I right. just personally don't want to get into. I would rather record my own stuff 
actually most of the time by myself so I don't have to worry about that sort of thing. Um, it's one of the reasons why I picked up so many instruments. That <laughs> <laughs> do it. Yeah. Oh, oh we, we got to stories. Oh, okay. So the vignettes. Mm-hmm. So you're when you're writing a... When you're writing a song, you can be writing a piece of a story mm-hmm. rather than um, the whole the whole bit of the story. It's it's really difficult to get an entire mm-hmm. beginning, middle, and end kind of thing. But you might be able to get the end of the middle into the end. Right. Uh, Martina McBride's Independence Day, mm-hmm. beginning, middle, and end, right there in the yeah. song, and it, and it's brilliant and it's simple and it uses the simple uh, the simple uh, chord progression too, mm-hmm. mostly. Um, yeah, my, my mind went to a lot of uh, of country music because you have the stereotypical, you know, I lost my dog, I lost my truck, I lost my wife. And that has all already happened. But mm-hmm. So it's part of the plot that you just kind of take as this has happened, this is the past, but now this is, again, it's mostly the emotion at that point. Yeah. Well, in country music, because it is such uh, a traditionalist kind of genre, you can use shorthand mm-hmm. to represent a lot of these things. Yeah. It's one of the things that makes it a very strong genre. Um, it also, though, it's 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 been kind of uh, diluted recently. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of things where it's it's like pop music for people who like to pretend that they're country bumpkins. Yeah. I, I live in Nashville. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm not. surrounded yeah. by it. Okay. Yeah, I'm from Scranton. We had the 30,000 pounds of bananas. That's why I know about Harry Chapin. <laughs> uh, by the way, the 30,000 pounds of bananas, uh, that's actually based on something that really happened. Both the conversation between Harry and the guy who was telling him about it and the, and the vehicle crash, which was a horror horrific tragedy that still bothers his family to this day <laughs> um, because the poor guy probably saved a whole bunch of people's lives by not bailing out of the truck. But even so, as to, to separate the art from the actual event that inspired it, um, the, the song is, is pretty masterful as a country western song as well <laughs> because that's how I mean, he was deliberately uh, and and uh, he makes a joke about stealing an itch <laughs> stealing a guitar lick that was brilliant and it is but it's pretty cool <laughs> right, so so when you're approaching a, a new song mm-hmm. and you you have a vignette in mind at least a story or the part of a story that you want to tell how do you approach writing that in lyrics I mean do you set yourself you know I want to write this scene in lyrics or just how do you, how do you even begin? Actually, usually what I begin with, um, it is a couple lines of the song or the chord progression. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that's, and it's kind of funny because it's a question of, you know, how do you write? Well, you can write a song from either direction. Mm-hmm. If you, I, and I, the advice I dropped earlier, this, this, uh, uh, at the, the workshop was that um, if you're better at lyrics than you are at music, write the music first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you're better at music than you are at lyrics, write the lyrics yeah. first. <laughs> do, do, the, do the hard part first, and do, then you be, can make your skills because, serve it. Well, yes, because you're better at the other piece, and you'll be able to move around it better. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, so I've I've gone from both ends. Uh, I have written a song by. The very first song I ever wrote, um, I actually, it was one of those things where, where something very, very emotional was happening. And 
I personally, I didn't like the way some other people were dealing with it. Mm -hmm. So I sat down and I wrote these like three line stanzas in, in my notebook. And I, um, and then I kind of left them there. I wrote it until, you know, I came back, maybe added a little bit more. And then, um, I was noodling around with chords Mm-hmm. And then one day it just kind of hit me that it, they were both the same song. Mm-hmm. And I went back to the the, stan- the, the three-line stanzas, and most of them, they got, they got cut down to two, and worked a little bit and uh, massaged it a little bit. <laughs> um, and then what's really funny is when I, when I went to record it, because the first time I went and I bought time at the recording studio, I found one with an actual piano so I could play on the piano. Mm-hmm. And then I double-tracked the piano part. Nice. And then I added a third line with just another piece. So there's no way that I could play like the exact way it is on the yeah. recording um, live because I just don't have that many fingers. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, it, 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 it came out pretty well, but I had to do a lot of things that I really hadn't seen happening. Um, so that was one of those things where, and then the whole song, even at the end really, uh, goes about expressing, expressing the single concept. Um, uh, I, I played you a song called Africa earlier. Mm-hmm. Africa was actually, it was inspired. Um, there was a, a, a news piece on the television at work. And this was like uh, 20, 20 years ago mm-hmm. on the local television show. There was a news item about someone who was pretending to be a police officer pulling people over in, in central Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, they had this item, and it's so horrible. This guy's pretending to be a cop and everything. But up on the screen, as part of the graphic, they used the actual police report. And I don't, I don't even know why or how I caught it, or I must, and I, or I must have recorded it and paused it mm-hmm. and looked at it, that... Um, on this line in the police report, it was obvious that not only was the guy dressing up like a cop to pull people over, he dressed up like a cop to pull over a black woman and make that why don't you go back to Africa stupid ass line. Mm-hmm. And the news station, because, I mean, as you mentioned, you're, you're from Nashville, you're from further down south. Well, Carbondale, Pennsylvania, there is a 3% non-white population. Oh, that might be up to nine now. Mm. <laughs> okay. Um, but uh, the news station decided not to make it a thing mm-hmm. because, well, it w- would have been a thing and it wouldn't have, wouldn't have helped anybody. The problem was this asshole was an asshole and he just pretended to be a cop. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all of the other bits of his assholeness, there wasn't anybody in the area that that was going to help. Now, I, I don't know that's the that I'm not the kind of person who could could comment on the greater politics of that choice. Mm-hmm. But that is what the news service did. So I started thinking about um, just the idea that phrases and words could mean something totally yeah. different than what they seem to be conveying. And, and that, that line, I've never been to Africa. And in the song, it, it's it means different things to different people mm-hmm. in, in the story of the song and the, the, 
to the serial killer kind of yes, this is a song about a serial killer. <laughs> it, it kind of weaves weaves together um, all the different delusions in his head and mm-hmm. how he deals with with people, you know. And um, as you go through the song, there's a whole bunch of things you could other phrases that you could put in the mouths of the people who said you have never been to Africa, mm-hmm. you know. And at the very end, uh, the, the question is uh, to the, to the serial killer that's being dressed with the song is that, uh, could you tell them that you've never been to Africa? Mm-hmm. You know, whatever never been to Africa actually meant, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> um, uh, but that was that was kind of tough to weave together. I think I had the music for that one first, uh, after the after the basic idea, you know. And there's a lot of other songs like the parodies. They all they come pretty they come pretty easily. Sometimes it's 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 a matter of trying to get something that works for the. Either you've got the chorus and the chorus is a one a, and you've got to get got to get a verse to work, get an idea mm-hmm. that works for the verse, or you've got the verse and you just can't think of something that's catchy enough for the chorus. I've got a bad habit. Um, filkers like to sing along. It's that folk music tradition. They like to sing along with the chorus. Right. I have a bad habit of changing the chorus when it comes around the second time. <laughs> <laughs> because there's another joke that I wanted yeah, to use. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have a, a parody called uh, Go Back in Time. It's a parody of Time After Time. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And uh, as, you go, as you go through, there's different lines in the chorus about different time machines. <laughs> Actually, the whole song is as many time travel tropes as I could throw into it as possible. At the time, I had not watched Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. I, I, I came to Doctor Who very late in life because I did not connect with Tom Baker as a child, I guess. I don't know. I never really tried to watch it. I, I went to Star Trek. I was a Star Trek. And not a Doctor uh, that's perfect. I'm, I'm actually not a Whovian. So. Yeah. Well, I... I Definitely became a Whovian later, but there is absolutely no Doctor Who in my first time travel parody. Of course, that means there's also a Doctor Who parody now that nobody here has heard, which is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll be doing the Doctor Who parody. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, that was a that was even an idea of like I I grab my friends and I'm like, how many things that use time travel that can mm-hmm. can you give me that I can put into this song? Mm-hmm. And that was a that was about making people laugh, but there it had that that single conceit, that one line of rather time after time go back in time, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> well, that that seems to me that would be something very liberating about writing songs and putting your stories to music is you've got that extra underlying back basically background music for your narrative that serves to help you know this is sad. Be sad, and then listen to these lyrics. Because you get, because generally you tend to have a short introduction musically before lyrics. I'm, I'm speaking in general. Oh yeah, yeah. Speaking, but but I mean that again, like you said, it's just a very different tool. Yeah, but that, that's something else that, um, and I know I know that you had personally heard a lot of my uh, line there. But uh, I have a variety of music that is pretend presented absolutely seriously. <laughs> that is completely. Uh-huh. Guano, back guano. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I uh, actually, I think it's still up. I think the podcast episode is still mm-hmm. up. I did uh, 
uh, actually, and, and it was my writing that uh, I was shortlisted for the 2009 comedy parody podcast uh, uh, finalist. I was on the shortlist. I was beaten by Bells in the Bat Free. Um, actually, it was me and Christiana, and oh, well, so I, we had the Losers Party. It was awesome. We wrote Zombie Connection at the Losers Party. But, um, <laughs> but me and Christiana and uh, Clinton from Comedy Forecast and somebody else, there was, a, there was another nominee, but I was in a company of distinguished losers that year. <laughs> distinguished losers. I like distinguished that. losers. I like but that. my one of my, well, actually, they were all my favorite. Episodes. I love doing that podcast. Um, but I was working at a place where I didn't feel inhibited by, like, I could take ideas from work, and I have a social media policy now, and I feel mm. like I can't, like, uh, be as free about that. But uh, one of us, we did a, an election special. Oh, no. No, it was awesome. It was awesome. This was a 2000, 2008 election and, mm. uh, that we did the. Uh, we did an election special, and it was a um, it, it was a proactive about a proactive politically active uh, special about a serious problem facing us: the fact that fictional characters' votes are purged from the roll. <laughs> I mean, all this times that you have written in Mickey Mouse on the voting roll, uh, and Mickey Mouse has never won office. Uh-huh. They just don't count as votes. Justice. And it's just horrible. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I wrote a song for that episode. <laughs> and the uh, the song is, is called Vote For. And um, it is a list. It, it is a listing of um, actual campaign sites that I found on the web in 2008. Oh, my gosh. For, for president of 2008. Um, it is, I love it. It's, it's great. It should still be on geekpantheon.com. Okay, so, uh, so where, yeah. can we, where, where can we find you know, okay. your, your music? It's on geekpantheon.com. There is the uh, 2009 podcast. It should still be there. If it's not, send me an email to the link on the site. I will do what I can to fix it. Um, I also have uh, two uh, EPs on Bandcamp at comicbookgoddess.bandcamp.com. Mm-hmm. Um, they are fun. You can listen to them without purchasing them, which is uh, lots of fun. And then you can see if you want to hear mm-hmm. um, songs. I think Vote For is on there. There's there's some very serious stuff. But uh, one of the things is you, you, you can't tell by my tenor mm-hmm. whether or not I think the song is funny. <laughs> Very important. <laughs> so I, I kind of like voluntarily give that up, but it's also in a way because it's it's, it's funnier in some cases that uh, somebody would take something mm-hmm. silly seriously. Mm-hmm. You know, like the secret society for delayed world conquests. The world is ours, just not today. Not, not today. <laughs> uh, is there anything else that you want to plug to my my listeners? I, mm, nothing. Unfortunately, I have been playing deadbeat and, and working too many hours at the day job for two for a few dollars. Uh-huh. <laughs> but uh, as soon as I manage to record something else, it'll probably be on band. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, so go to yeah. band. Camp. Go to band right. camp. Well, thank you very much, Kim. Thank you. And we are back. So, AF, tell me, do we have any announcements or anything we need to share with our listeners today? Well, of course we do. Always got stuff to tell people. So tell people things. 
First, I've got to plug my new novella. Of course. Which the official release date is in 11 days on September 26th. Woo! It's called Luke Bertrand, Assassin's Victim. Do it. Do what? Pre-order. Oh, pre-order it. That would be lovely. Like me? Hang on. Let, I'm gonna, let, let's just wait a second. Let them go do that, and then we'll continue. Now that you've done that, take another second and go to iTunes. What should they do on iTunes, Aaron? Well, they should leave us a review, of course. That would be great. Gives us a lot more visibility. Okay, so take take another second and go to iTunes and do that. We'll wait. But not for long, because we're pretty impatient. Yeah, we really are. Moving on, is there anywhere else that they can go to, to help out the podcast, Aaron? Well, our Patreon. Tell them about our Patreon. Well, it's there, for one thing. It exists. What's the URL? Well, it's patreon.com slash afgrappin. And what can they do there? Send us stuff. Not quite. We send them stuff. We send them stuff. I got it. Because they send us money. That is right. You can pledge as much or as little as you can. We have rewards for as little as a dollar an episode, guys. And you can get swag. Yeah, seriously. Every backer level has some sort of physical reward as well as access to our yearly patron-backer-only episode. Which this one, you guys, this is going to be good. It's going to be really good. It's going to be a main ingredient story that was written by me. We actually haven't had one of those yet. But this is one of the first like, stories of, of AF, so that uh, it really got me. It wasn't just a, ooh, this is awesome. It didn't, it didn't inspire that, ooh, yeah. It was just a, wow, kind of moment, you know? So trust me, you want to get in on this. But we'll have that episode done probably sometime in December, just because I want to make sure we've got extra time put into it, but... A Christmas present. Possibly. I, I love Christmas. Because I don't know that we'll be doing a Christmas special this year just because of... Jingle bells, jingle bells. Not because of jingle bells. Just because Uh-oh. of everything that's been going on with your surgery, with your baby, my job, everything that's been going on. It's, it's just going to be hard to get, you know, three, four episodes out in December. Production's been a little bit slowed down. But we're also going to have at least one new voice actor in that episode. Yeah. Another family member of one of the hosts. Ooh. Because, I mean, we had Aaron's mom in our last episode. Yeah. You're going to hear from my brother. Yeah. You, ooh. Yeah. Tony's going to do a voice. Yay. So. I was friends with Tony before I was friends with AF. What does that tell you? That I'm the better friend because I got you longer. Oh. No, he's just too old. Moving on. <laughs> you can also go. To, and I have the right URL this time, guys. Shop.spreadshirt.com slash the melting podcast. I don't want to spread my shirt. That's okay. You don't have to. But okay. at that site, you can buy podcast swag of your own without, you know, going through being a Patreon backer. Um, and you can get stuff there that you can't get through the Patreon, like the aprons that say looks a connoisseur or word chef. T-shirts. Which we need to go and start adding some more stuff because there's tons of possibilities of what we can offer you guys. And let us know what you'd like us to offer. Yeah, seriously. If, if you... there's a particular product that you can think of that you'd like to have our logo or our faces on, let us know. Yeah, we can make a lot of stuff through there, guys. And you know you want to be drinking out of our cartoon heads. Um, Too far there, AF. Too far. Okay. Moving on. I think it's time for prompts, Aaron. I like prompts. I also like prompts. We now, should prompt people to send us stuff. Well, now here's the thing. is Prompt number nine is only open for two more weeks. Oh, take advantage of it while you can. I like prompt number nine. Yeah, I mean, end of September, it expires. It's <laughs> so going to be replaced sad. with a whole new prompt. 
Oh, but I like new prompts. New, new prompts are great. New prompts are good. And also, just FYI, one of the Patreon backer levels, you get to create one of the prompts that is open for six months during the year. So, I mean, go back us. But the one that's going to be closing, prompt number nine, you wake up alone at night with bite marks on your legs. What's eating you? And then there's prompt number 10. An animal from outside your local ecosystem has entered nature and is breeding uncontrollably. I love that prompt. That one makes me laugh. Now, fun fact, I've actually written Stoke the Fires for both of those prompts. Oh, you. So. Don't you have enough to be writing now? Oh, God, don't even get me started. Speaking of which, I should probably be writing right now. Probably. But you know what? I've run off on episodes before. I'm not leaving you today. Go away. I don't like you. But I'm the head chef. My show. So? You knew what this was. The Melting Podcast. Hostile Takeover. It's the place where they should send us stuff. I'm staging a coup. Cuckoo! Couscous? Ooh, I like couscous. So tell them what they should do, Aaron. I've been saying it the whole episode. Couscous? No. That's only been in the last, like, 15 seconds. Send us stuff. And we'll use it to feed the masses. And maybe some couscous. Mm. Thank you for listening to The Melting Podcast. You can check out our website with submission guidelines and current prompts at themeltingpodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Melting Podcast. Or you can email us themeltingpodcast at gmail.com. The Melting Podcast is released under a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license which means you're free to copy it and share it as long as you don't change it, don't sell it, and always link back to the website. Sound effects are by the Free Sound Project. And our theme is by Drew Rich Creek.